Hi, this is Ebodian X, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. You can now access The Candid Frame on your smartphone or tablet. Whether your device runs Apple's iOS, Android, or Windows 8, you can download the free app and the latest episode will appear on your device minutes after it's released. You can also mark your favorites for repeated listening, read the show notes, and if you answer a call, the show will begin just where you left off. Download it for free from your favorite app store or click on the links that you'll find at thecandidframe.com. Now, the full name for this show is The Candid Frame of Photography Podcast. And yeah, the topic is photography, but I think this show is so much more than that. For me, it's about choices that so happen to revolve around photography. I've done over 200 interviews, and the ones that that always resonate with me long after I've had the chance to sit down and talk with my, my guest and have the show edited and released. It's really about people, men and women, making the choice to do something with their lives that revolves around something that they're really in love with doing, and that's using using a camera. And there are so many different circumstances that have led people to, to do that. There have been men and women from every color, from every economic background, who have committed to using the camera to express themselves and in some cases make a living from photography. But I don't think that it's always sort of the end goal of having fame and fortune and money that has driven so many people to make these choices. It's always something something much, much deeper than that. And today's guest, Rob Lutter, is following his passion, not only by picking up a camera and making photographs, but deciding to leave his life behind in London and travel around the world using a bicycle. And when I first heard this story, it seemed crazy, it seemed impossible, and all of that made it even more wonder, wonderful for me. So I knew that I'd had to, to, to track him down and have the chance to, to talk to him about his, his endeavor, his adventure. It's easy to think that people who achieve these great, wonderful things are somehow superhuman that they are somehow exceptional human beings and the rest of us can never hope to achieve anything that elevates us beyond the ordinary. And I think that Rob is an example that he isn't anybody super special. He's just a human being who decided to make a a different choice and is living out the adventure that's the result of making that choice. Though this conversation may not lead to you picking up a bike and and following the path that he did, I hope that you think about what choices can you make in your life right now that will allow you to be able to live out your own passion in your own unique and special way and have the satisfaction of making that different choice. Because not only can it be a very satisfying thing for yourself, but it can be a great inspiration for those around you to be able to see someone else who is just as ordinary as anyone else, but who makes the choice to live a life that's exceptional. 
Well, Rob, uh, good morning to you. It's evening for me, but good morning to you, and welcome to the Candid Frame. It's, it's, I'm really excited to be able to sit down and talk with you. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much. It's great. It's great to be here. Yeah, when I found out about your effort, I was just fascinated. Fascinated. The idea of traveling around the world on a bicycle uh, seems, you know, both fantastic and, and insane at the same time. Uh, <laughs> definitely both of those things, yeah. I wanted to, to sort of start off, because when I was reading about your, your story, it was... You started off uh, in your in your younger days aspiring to be like a, a storyteller, a filmmaker, and then you found yourself in in London, and and those dreams or those expectations that you had for your life really changed dramatically, and eventually led to to what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about that about that part of your story, even before we get into to your your worldwide trek. Sure, no problem. Um... Well, I come from like a little village in uh, the Cotswolds in England. It's basically like uh, like the beginning of Lord of the Rings or something. So it's a quite a small world. So when I was growing up, I thought that, well, I had all these ideas and I used to read all these books and watch films. And, and uh, to me, to go to the big city was uh, what you do in order to sort of make those ideas happen. And I thought I wanted to, um, yeah, I thought I wanted to be a director, um, maybe write scripts. Uh, I thought London was the London was the, uh, the only the really place in England that you could go and kind of make that happen. But I didn't really expect, or I didn't anticipate the sort of uh, the how tough it would be and how competitive it would be, and how almost impossible it would be to uh, to really make your mark in in that city. And uh, when I got there, when I was about twenty three or four, um, I just kind of found myself. Uh, it was difficult to really get. No, it was difficult to even uh, find any time to do anything creative on a personal level when just surviving was was tough enough. So it was definitely just like kind of a wake up to the real to the real world. And uh, like a few a few years down the line of working in a film company, um, having kind of just put aside all my short story writing or my script writing or, or or making like short short movies on the side. Uh, and just pretty much all my time going on working in the company that I was working for, uh, I realized like one day that I, you know, I was like 28, 29 and, um, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about all the, all the, the dreams and stuff that I'd had before. So I kept telling myself that one day, you know, I'll, I'll make this or I'll get a promotion, I'll have more free time. And, uh, yeah, you just, you just got older and, um, and then suddenly you panic and you're trying to. Trying to think, oh, I need to, I need to change something. I need to do something different in order to turn this around. Uh, I kind of went a bit too far down that hole, uh, and I kind of needed something pretty big to to sort of sort my life out. And I never actually intended to cycle around the world. When I set off, I was only planning on just maybe a few months. It just kind of it's kind of taken over my life this trip now. So you were inspired by a, a book, a title of a book that you picked up. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, it was called, um, there's a guy in England, uh, he must be about 35, 40 now, he's called uh, Mark Beaumont, and, and he had a book out called The Man Who Cycled the World, and I didn't know anything about Mark himself, he's a Scottish guy who's now like an official adventurer on the BBC, but at the time, I just, one of the, my bosses at work was reading the book, uh, and they were pretty keen cyclists, uh, which I wasn't necessarily, um, I had a bike and I used to ride it to work, but I just saw it on the... I saw the, the book on the desk and on the front cover was a guy 
in which I now know is the Himalayas and there's a road that sort of wound its way for thousands of miles down a mountain and he was there looking smiling looking happy and had a massive beard and long hair and and I just thought that is crazy what what is that how is that possible and you know I could see that he had his bag his life in his bags on his bike yeah it just kind of gave me an idea it literally was a spur of the moment because the later that afternoon I bought a guidebook on cycle touring and and uh, I started looking at maps and started looking at like roads into that kind of part of the world in the Middle East, Himalayas and China and things. And uh, it slowly dawned on me that it'd been done before and that you could could do this sort of thing. And uh, all I had to do in my mind was think, okay, I'm a photographer and I can just add in photo- the f- photographic element to that kind of adventure and it, it would become maybe something a bit more than just a, a cycle adventure. Mm. So that's sort of, I decided pretty much in one day in my mind that I was going to do this. Yeah. You know, I've talked to, to several different people, one who, which walked across the United States. Um, wow. And then there's another, uh, there's another couple that I recently interviewed who are, are uh, traveling around the country in uh, an Airstream. And what's that? It's a sort of like a trailer. It's a, it's a classic trailer from the, from the fifties It's very sort of shiny metal, at the time, very futuristic looking. Uh, there's a big following uh, okay. for those uh, here in here in the states. But that sounds cool. Yeah, and, and with each of these people, I think they were at a point in their lives where they were very frustrated, like you. They they were frustrated creatively. They mm-hmm. you know maybe dealing with moments of depression and 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 just feeling like their life isn't where they wanted it to be. And I think a lot of yeah. people get to that point, especially. Um, well, after they've left, left school and, and they're, they're in the machine, to, for lack of a better word. And, yeah. and they may see something that may inspire them to say, let me just leave all this stuff behind. But a lot of people get held back because they have obligations. It could be family. It could be financial. It could be fear. And they don't end up doing it. They, they think about it a lot. They may read mm-hmm. a, a, lot of, a lot about it. But they're never able to take that leap and make the choice to leave everything behind and do it. Why do you think you were able to do that? Well, I mean, the the truth the truth is that I didn't have that many responsibilities, or the, uh, or at least you know, Western responsibilities like family or bills or a house or um, anything like that. So I, I was at a time where I could. Like, having said that, a year before I started this trip, I, I, I was in debt quite badly, and I, I did have uh, contracts on phones, and on, I did live in a in an apartment which I rented, and I couldn't really afford to to leave. So, in order to do that, I did have to like I was sleeping on rooftops, and I kind of crashing at work because I, I basically didn't have a house for the last nine months. So, it was a struggle to get it up and running, uh, and it took a lot of kind of willpower to just kind of be slightly homeless for like the last nine months although I did have a job so that was kind of tough but um I don't know I think when it comes to actually being able to do an adventure like this whilst it might seem like a sort of spur of the moment thing I think it might have always been in me to do something like this I was just probably held back psychologically because I you know there's pressures and there's like parents and society telling you you know, you have a job and a house and you need to plan for the future and things, which is all great, but it's kind of safe. 
And my dad was, uh, was a rock climber and my mum was a, a windsurfer uh, when, when they were younger. And uh, they've got normal jobs, or they have normal jobs now. And so I think, uh, you know, that maybe is in my blood or, or in my genes or whatever. And, and I just obviously suppressed it and tried to work in an office environment. When I needed to, like, break free, that was kind of the first thing I thought of exploring and traveling and trying to do some kind of adventurous escape uh, rather than just change jobs or something. So, yeah, I think I may have always ended up doing something like this. I just don't know. I, could, I don't know when it happened. It only happened because of a series of circumstances. And, and yeah, I mean, it's that sort of age as well where... Uh, just after I graduated, I've done a few years. I don't have a girlfriend or anything right now. And I'm young enough not, not to worry that I'm getting, you know, I'm not too old to be able to do this physically and also in terms of responsibilities. So, And, of course, some people do have those kind of responsibilities and do want to break free. And I do feel for those people who maybe can't. There's <laughs> not much I can do apart from inspire those people maybe to make some kind of change in some smaller way. It doesn't necessarily have to mean leaving your family behind and, and cycling around the world. You could just uh, change your job or uh, start a new hobby or something like this. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no uh, guidebook. There's no, you know, well, yeah. plan that's been created by anybody else to how to do that because it's so, it's such an unusual thing, thing to do. So tell us about the, the, the what was involved in terms of research, planning, you know, choosing what you would take, what you wouldn't take, the routes? How much, how much time did you invest in time and research even before you, you, you completed that first mile? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm not really a massive planner. Uh, firstly, I'm not, I mean, before this trip, I wasn't really a cyclist. Um, so I don't really know much about bikes or about what I should take on something like this. So compared to maybe other people who begin an adventure like this who might be maybe know about what kind of tents to take what kind of but I didn't really know at all I just was kind of governed by price um, I didn't have much money so I spent maybe a month before leaving just going in and out of like the local camping shop in uh, in my section of London and uh, just buying really whatever I could afford there in the end um, in terms of planning routes and things it was almost impossible because things like visas you couldn't even uh, get in advance because by the time I reached places like uh, Kazakhstan, which you need a visa for, it was already a year into uh, cycling, so they wouldn't grant you the visa anyway because you have to go in within six months. And so I pretty much just set off with, uh, with a plan just to cross France, to be honest, and uh, that was governed day by day on a day by day basis anyway. So yeah, there really was no plan at all. Which sounds a bit crazy, but kind of that's the whole point of the of the adventure. I think you mentioned that initially you didn't intend to make this sort of a worldwide trip. So, what was the no. catalyst to to say, "Oh, let me just keep going with this"? It's hard to pinpoint exactly when it happened, but I remember um, I remember I wanted to reach Australia pretty much uh, because my sister used to live there, and then she moved a couple of months into the trip. She just left Australia, so I didn't really have any finish line. Um, and so I just kept going and, um, I was maybe reaching the end of Europe and I kept meeting people like Canadians, Americans, uh, Australians, New Zealanders, um, lots of people from South America and, and I, and they kept saying the same question, when are you going to be, uh, when are you going to be coming here? And a large following was in America as well on Twitter and, and people that were donating. So, uh, it, it was kind of 
a decision based around meeting all the people that had followed me and supported me and, and just because I uh, thought oh, how cool would it be to go to America and just finish it and, and also as I was cycling uh, people used to ask me at the beginning in Europe um, where are you cycling to and I'd have to explain uh, uh, you know just Sydney or whatever and, um, and in my mind it just sounded a lot easier to say oh I'm cycling the world and I started thinking about in the future in 10 years what would I tell people when they, when they say, what did you do? I could just say, I cycled the world. And I, and I think it was just this idea of going full circle. Uh, and that probably happened about two or three months in. Um, I'd become comfortable with cycling and it wasn't as, it was not as scary as I'd imagined. And, you know, I just adjusted. And then I was, my brain was able to relax and I wasn't, you know, confused or scared anymore. And, I, and I, then I could think, right, how far do I really want to go? And also my body... I was surprised by how far my body could go. Like I was doing over a hundred kilometers after, you know, four or five days from leaving London. And I thought, Oh man, I'm, I'm flying here. Like actually I could do this. And then that's when you start to think, well, how, yeah, how, how much did I do this? Yeah. Cause it's amazing how much your body can, can deal with, particularly when you're yeah. doing, you know, something for an extended period of time. But what were, what were some of the things that surprised you in terms of what your body was capable of or, or how it might be limited in, in certain ways? Mm. Well, I've never really been crazily fit. I've never really been, before this trip, I was never a, like an athlete of any kind. I did a little bit of running for one year where I got quite fit, but I'd never really known what I could do. And it, only, and it surprised me that it only took about two weeks before I lost most of my, uh, the weight that I didn't need. And uh, also the pain, just the pain in the morning that you would have after like the first or second or third day pretty much went away um, purely because you just keep waking up and you just keep getting on the bike and eventually your ankles, after about two weeks in, you wake up and your ankles and your legs, they don't hurt anymore and you don't realize and then you're cycling you're like, oh wait, I've, I've already done like 50 kilometers this morning, it's not even like 10 o'clock um, and that was such an amazing feeling because it's suddenly you just get these little boosts of adrenaline like you just feel very strong or very healthy and very capable and sort of makes you appreciate like the body that you have like that like even if you you're you don't have much in life you do have your own two feet and it can get you it can get you places and to know that it can get you places totally self-sufficiently it is amazing yeah. um limitations though yeah the weather is always the thing that kind of makes you feel very small as a as a human being you could be traveling along pretty strong and a snowstorm can come in on the mountain and it will just wipe you away like as if you're just like an ant or something and things like altitude altitude uh, sickness when i was in the himalayas i was cycling and i'd adjusted to cycling and I, and I was fine on the bike but when i got off on one pass on one plateau i kind of jogged through the snow just to take a picture uh, maybe 50 meters and I collapsed on my knees and I couldn't breathe my head was pounding and I was like crawling back to the bike and uh, suddenly I'd forgotten that I was at 4,000 meters and just this kind of difference in oxygen just totally ruined me I was all the two years the year and a half of cycling beforehand just became irrelevant and I just became like a wreck mm. so that was quite a surprise when that happened yeah 
Well, you're making some beautiful photographs uh, along this trip. I love looking at your at your blog and on your website, uh, and it's just you. just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. And you know, <sighs> it, it pays to be out there all the time, so you can take advantage of 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 the light when when it's just but just perfect. But I'm wondering about you know the the choice to sometimes stop and pay, make pictures and uh, another thought of trying to get to whatever next destination you're trying to to, to make so sometimes mm-hmm. it's like you know yeah it's, it's it may be a great picture but either because of the limits of time or the way that you're feeling uh it can make be a hard decision to stop and and make a make photographs so t- tell us about that particular challenge yeah sure um well i always put photography first on this trip um it was always meant to be a, a creative uh, trip. It's not a race, which is great. So I can uh, can pretty much stop when I want. And some days, uh, when it's a nice day and when I'm feeling just pretty photographic, then I, I will just spend eighty percent of my, my time shooting pictures, um, which is fine. And I'm really not that as long as there's no visa or something that uh, that's running out on me, or, or I have to reach a border in time. Um, and the times I've been frustrated is when I when I have had to rush through a country like uh, Uzbekistan is a very long country and the the, the visa is fairly short and um, I found myself just being a cyclist and there were days where I just wasn't taking pictures and uh, I suddenly was getting a bit confused as to why I was doing this and it was fun to be a kind of adventure cyclist but then I I didn't have any evidence of, of what I was doing and I, and I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't relaxed and I wasn't able to take pictures. So I know when I'm not able to take photos, it does kind of get to me and I do need that photography does calm me down and, and it's kind of like my, my passion. So, and it's also the whole point of this, this trip. Um, but really if I do feel like I, I want to take a picture, I will gladly just put the bike aside and just, take an hour off by the roadside and it is great being out there um, from dawn till dusk um, but actually making it to a specific point to take a photo at sunset in, in, a, in a very specific location is not that easy the, the, the nice shots that you see um, or any shots that just happen to be at that right moment uh, that right light uh, it's just kind of usually actually what where I am at the time whatever point I've got to on the road um, that will just be what I take a photo of. Um, so luckily everything, almost everything is beautiful um, by the time you reach like the deserts and the Himalayas and stuff. Um, and half the, half the challenge of the, of the photograph itself, or most of the challenge is just getting there in the first place. So by the time I'm there and it's sunset and I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I can just literally snap, snap my camera and whatever will be in front of the lens will almost always come out pretty, pretty well. Well, weight's, yeah. weight's a big consideration, so you have to travel as light as, as possible. So talk to me yeah. a little bit about the kit that you've decided to, to take with you and how that okay. works for you. Okay, sure. Um, my setup is a bit lighter than most uh, people who would travel for so long. I mean, I only have two bags on the back and a, and a small bag on the front, which is mainly due to the fact that my, uh, my the kind of bicycle I have isn't a touring bicycle, it's just a, one that I had say to work so it doesn't actually carry that much stuff so because of that I was forced to really strip down on on what I was taking so there's pretty much one kind of 
item of clothing which I wear all the time. You've probably seen all the photos, and uh, and I kind of just add layers of uh, layers to that for colder conditions. And then uh, the camera does take up quite a hefty part of the weight. I've got I've only I've got two prime lenses and uh, the Canon 5D, um, and I will be having a GoPro camera soon with some various accessories and and that goes all in the front bag so I can just grab that and pull it out when there's a when there's a shot right in front of me on the road and then the rest is kind of spares like tires and toolkits uh, inner tubes pump and then the bags themselves weigh quite a lot uh, and I don't have any room for uh, carrying food and um, carrying extra water is kind of like a bodge job where I just kind of strap it together with ropes on the back of the bike and so um, yeah I'm very, very restricted on weight but I am for the next part of this journey I'm reconfiguring uh, reconfiguring the bike a little bit to carry more carry more stuff so I can cook food uh, in cook food on like a stove and everything for the next part of the journey has, um, has the inability to carry you know a substantial amount of water and food with you been a risk for you or has it at any yes. point Tell me about that. Well, I never really knew much. I mean, I'd never been to a desert before. So when I reached Kazakhstan, I got I had to take a boat from, uh, I don't know if you know Azerbaijan, but uh, from Baku, it goes across the Caspian Sea, and then you hit basically desert straight away. I cycled off on the first day, all happy, smiling, thinking, oh, this is so great. This is like the adventure I wanted uh, all this time. And uh, an, hour, an hour later, I drank, you know, 10 liters of water, and I was just out, and there was no soup. There was no, there was nothing around for hundreds of kilometers. I kind of got lost in that desert as well, and um, I had to rely on farmers to get water from and things. And I managed to carry 15 liters with me, and it just wasn't enough. I was, just couldn't believe how quickly I went through the water. Uh, food wasn't so much a problem. I could uh, will myself to keep going without food. And, and, but water in like 40 plus Celsius uh, heat, was, it's just, it's, you're just desperate for it all the time. Um, and it just becomes almost psychological. Like you just start thinking of water and thinking of needing it. And, and even if you're not like, you're not necessarily dying from it, like you just feel like you are. Um, and it can just really hinder cycling and hinder like willpower and um, yeah it, it, it was a problem a lot of times in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan uh, where the distances are like 150 kilometers between towns so yeah. and it wasn't something I was necessarily ready for but hopefully next time in Australia when I hit the outback I'll be a bit more less naive about my, about my approach towards it that's where planning would have come in useful yeah. if I planned a bit more it seems that that uh, the people that you've met along the way, sometimes in person and sometimes even virtually, have been a great help. And in reading mm. of all the relationships you've been able to to build and in in your in your trek, both in person and, and virtually, and in your writing, you talk about how isolated you had felt when you were back in in London and very, and very lonely. It seemed, and I'm wondering yeah. how your relationships with people have changed as a result of making this trek and encountering all these people. Uh, and, and, and sometimes, as you just described, depending on them to be able to survive. Yeah, that's true. Well, firstly, it's strange because, um, yeah, in London, I felt like there was thousands of people around me all the time, but I just didn't know any of them and I didn't interact. And I did feel lonely. Uh, and it's strange that now that I'm on the bike, literally alone, uh, I'm, far from lonely but I think it's just that I have a story to share 
and then people ready to listen. And um, that's kind of all I ever really wanted. Um, you can be in like the middle of a city, but if you just drifting and you don't feel like you've got much to share with society, then, you know, you just haven't. So uh, the people that have like reached out to me online have just been incredible. And it, it is amazing uh, to do an adventure now and this, in this day, it, when I traveled seven years ago, first backpacking for the first time, there wasn't really, la- uh, you know, laptops and iPads and things the way there was now. And, um, and so over, only over like the space of seven years, um, to have like the, the kind of social media we have, it has changed the trip. And you do feel like you've got friends now that you've never met them and they've donated or they've supported you or they kind of, there's people that have been there from the start, uh, England, America's, uh, from Australia, just following on Twitter and stuff. And you do feel like you are kind of friends with them, like you've known them all this time. Um, and even though they may, they're literally just a name on, on the screen um, for the most part, uh, it, that's all that's necessary when, when you've had like four days in a desert and you get some kind of crude Wi-Fi and uh, there's a message from them saying, oh, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you for ages or uh, keep going or whatever. And that is like eating a bag of sugar on the bike. It just boosts you for like the whole day. Um, so that that's amazing, and and then the, and then the locals and and people I meet on the road, that's a, that's a whole it's a whole different thing. Um, the, the more remote the places I went to, uh, the more kind and, and the more like selfless um, the people were, and the more they wanted to help. Um, places in Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, where they were kind of nomadic people people who just worked at petrol stations or slept by the roadside or just truckers, they would be well up for uh, giving me their food or bread. Or, and not that I necessarily asked for it. And, and, and a lot of the time, no matter how hard I tried to say, no, you know, don't worry, I'll just sleep in my tent or don't worry, I've got some food. They would just sort of dump it on my bike and, and, and sh- or shake my hand and just walk away. And they just wanted to, um, it was just in them. It was just in their, in their kind of uh, culture to do that. So, it, that was really amazing when you're cycling away and, and you're kind of hungry and you, there's no towns for a while and you've got this bread that some farmer's given you and, and there's like kind of tears forming in your eyes because you're just so like, at the time, it's just the most amazing thing ever. But when you're back in like the city, you're kind of like, oh, that was silly. Why were you getting so emotional? Mm. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's odd out there on the road. Your emotions are uh, pretty strong out there. Well, you're challenging yourself both physically and, and, and mentally in ways that, you know, prob- you probably never would have imagined several years ago. And you're in, you're constantly out there doing that, but you're also able to challenge yourself creatively. And I'm, and I'm curious to see whether you have observed anything in terms of your photography, in terms of how that may have changed as much as you may have changed um, both physically and and, and mentally. Mm. That's interesting. I never, I don't know if I've ever actually considered that much um, because I do look at my pictures. Um, I know that every photographer has a tendency to dislike what they did maybe a year ago and think, oh, what I'm doing now is so much better. Um, but when I do see my pictures from, because it's such a long adventure, uh, the ones I'm taking now, the ones that I haven't managed to process or publish yet, I do think, wow, these are so much, uh, so much more amazing than the, than the first ones. And I don't know whether it's um, whether it's because I'm better or because the the places I went to became more adventurous. Um, but what I do know is that I stopped thinking less about the photography uh, from a technical point of view and 
all of that came a lot more subconscious um, and I was able, I found myself able to, it was almost automatic uh, by the time I reached China. You know, I just grabbed my uh, camera and I wouldn't even look at the, the settings really. I just feel the settings, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. And it was definitely more about, um, it was more about, right, I need to get this picture or this shot looks amazing or I just want to interact with this person. And, and it became more social and it became, I think, less scary for the, uh, for the person I was taking a picture of because I wasn't just this panicky guy who was fumbling around in his bag uh, trying to photograph something he saw on the roadside. Now I would, um, I would approach, I would approach subjects. I think maybe because I'm more relaxed as well, uh, having been on the adventure so long. Uh, I would approach subjects like a lot more, sort of socially first, and then. It, and I use the photography now as, as almost as a, as a way to meet people, um, meet locals, because there isn't really any English, and and uh, if you, you can use the camera almost as a, as a bridge um, to kind of get to know them and you take their picture, show them the picture and you can, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I don't see it as a, as a piece of like tech really. I see it just as kind of, I don't know, definitely something more, more so like a social, like a social tool really. Uh, and then afterwards, if you've got a good photo, when you look back, then that's just a, a bonus really. But at the time I don't really usually, now what's changed, I don't really usually think about whether it was too good or not. I'm just happy that I, I was just there at all. Uh, whereas at the beginning I was like right I must I must take a picture of everything all the time um, but it's kind of become less like that now this is just a long term project that uh, <clears throat> when when I or I think many other people have to work on something over a long period of time there are moments where we get very frustrated with it where we don't know whether this is really going to work out uh, we just kind of want to walk away from it and um whether it's a novel, whether it's a, a portfolio, whether you know it's anything, and does what happens with you when you when you've had those those moments? Because I, I suspect it's happened more than once. And <laughs> is it is it just what is it that keeps you, you know, pursuing? Is it like I started this and I have to keep go, I have to finish it, or what? What is it? Because you know, at any given point, you could always pack it up and then go back home. There's, there's nothing obligating you other than you know what you, uh, the goals that Not you set out for yourself. Not necessarily. Um, I would say there is a lot obligating me to keep going. Uh, at the beginning, there wasn't, of course. I can turn around for the first four months, um, but as soon as one person donates one pound to, uh, I got some. I had some charities running, so. Uh, or I did have a, I did have a few people give me money directly, um, or people who just follow or invest in your journey, whether it's uh, they like your photography or whether they like the adventure itself. That as soon as you get literally just one person, then it's enough to make me think, right, well, I have a responsibility now. Um, now that Kickstarter has happened with hundreds of people backing me, and there's that, there is tens of thousands on Instagram, I, I do feel almost duty bound to actually finish this even if I didn't want to I would um, mm. luckily I do want to um, only because well there are some things that are just bigger than me it's almost not about me anymore because a lot of people follow the adventure and they just see this adventure this, this idea of, of like escape or something and they don't really know they just know British guy cycles they don't necessarily know who I am and that's fine um, so I have this kind of duty to keep that dream going and if I was to stop the effects it would have on 
people that are following just like, oh, what, you're, you're ending. There's no more journals or there's no more photography. Uh, I, I just don't think that would be a good message. It would defeat almost every point of this. And uh, when I'm on the road, like from a day-to-day basis, um, there's, so, there's so many levels to this trip because firstly, there is just cycling and getting to the to where you want to sleep that night and then there's taking pictures and it being a creative project so when I get bored not bored necessarily but when I get kind of frustrated like you said maybe from photography then all I have to do is put my music in and just think okay you know put the camera away for, for a day and, and just sort of focus on, on cycling or, or focus on meeting people or at the very least just stop and just pull over and, 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 and read a book or something and then just enjoy where you are and the landscape and the scenery as a, as a traveling experience on a very basic level. So you can always just take a step back on the journey um, and then continue. And usually what I would do is I would just stop for a day in a town or a hostel and then after about 24 hours, I was dying to get back on the bike again. I noticed that whenever I stop, I just takes a couple of days and I'm desperate to get on the bike for health reasons. I just, I feel like, oh no, I'm getting unfit again. Or, um, or I just have this like eagerness. A step back gives me a chance to uh, think, right, oh, these photos look good. And well, maybe what should I shoot more of? Or, um, you know, I, and then I set off with new ideas that way. So I've kind of learned to deal, I've kind of learned to create my own little space, my own little mind space in, in the tent or when I take like a break in a hostel and um, I kind of quickly feel at home when I set up my tent or when I get to a hostel and uh, that allows me just to kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm back home a little bit. Uh, it's definitely not easy to try and kind of find your own little uh, space without having to break down completely and go home to England. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the easiest thing, but I've learned like routines of doing it. So, you know, I would think that... That makes sense. Yeah, that does. That does. And I was thinking that, you know, considering that you're, you're able to do this and accomplish what a lot of people would, would think impossible, that it gives you a perspective in terms of what's possible for your life after you get back home. Um. And and, yeah. and and I know I know, I'm sure a lot of people have asked you you know what you, what what are your plans after you get back but but <laughs> yeah, this is a tough but, question everyone yeah, always asks me but I, I'm more interested in 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 your thinking about what's possible because I think that before you took this on you felt sort of trapped by you know life in London and and the sort of structure that, that exists there for people to be sort of you know, creative and, and be responsible and, you know, meet your obligations, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. How has this changed your perspective in terms of what you think is possible with your life after having, having done this, even though you haven't, you know, you haven't finished it yet, obviously, but, but what, what does it make you think about that? Well, I mean, you pretty much nailed it when you said that you're not interested in literally what I'm going to do just more my mindset uh, and how it's changed and how that would affect what I think is possible and that's really what I'm focused on myself um, it, it's kind of almost silly to think about what I'm literally going to do when I get back and like you know in the first weeks or in the first year um, will I work will I start a new adventure I do have ideas but all, all, I'm, all I'm really focused on and worried about mainly and what actually does worry me the most about the future when I think about it when I'm, when I'm cycling is that when I stop 
will I go back to being because there's no ride or no project will I be will I come unfocused will I just kind of sit back and think oh I've done that now that's that's great and then you know a year or two passes by and I'm definitely worried about that but I find it hard to believe um, that well every time I stop now on this journey and I take a week off or since I've been in Hong Kong a little, uh, a little bit too long I'm definitely getting fidgety and I definitely feel like I'm not moving because I know what I can do now um, and I know what everybody can do um, and also I've had a taste of uh, what it's like to share the story and that and, and get the response from people uh, and, and get that kind of buzz when you, when you when someone says wow what a cool photo um, I wish I could, could go and go somewhere like that um, to let go of that and just let that slip and just it just seems crazy it, and I, it just won't happen like I know very, I know one thing that I'm focused on is just not to stop moving or stop looking at myself and thinking what can I change what what can I improve what can I photograph next what's the next project um, it's good to have a project some kind of focus in life I didn't have that before in London and it's not that London is, is a, a difficult place to be creative it was just that um, I now know that it's largely my own fault that I one I, I got a little bit depressed and two I just didn't really take the opportunities and, and you do have to like try hard in London I just let London kind of crush me um, so maybe perhaps if I was to go back there, maybe this, this trip would have given me some kind of new uh, momentum to be able to succeed in London. Uh, as it is, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go back there right now. I, have, um, I actually have more adventure projects and things lined up. I mean, I have at least five years worth of new ideas now. That's what this trip's done. It's allowed me to think about the, new, the next project and uh, what, I, what I want to do. Um, but I do know that because I know because I think that is, anything is possible, um, or that I can pretty much do what I want if I was to say I want to run around the world next. I don't doubt that I could actually do that now. Um, not that I necessarily do want to do that. It's just that now I can choose whatever I want, and I know that I can do it. It's not like oh, how would I do that logistically? Is it possible? Can I can I get the money, uh, or is it technically possible? Um, I would just, now I can just come up with these ideas and just think, right, I can do this. But, you know, let's just hit the road or let's just set off and start it and see how it goes. Well, what's ahead for you now? You've been, like you mentioned, you've been in Hong Kong now for a while and you've been on the road for about uh, over a year and a half. Uh, I've been, I left England two, over two years ago. Two years ago now. Uh, but I haven't been on the road for, you know, like half a year, unfortunately. So, so what's ahead for you? What, what's the route that you're going to be taking from, from Hong Kong? Well, thanks to the Kickstarter project, um, I, I'm going to leave Hong Kong in two to three weeks, hopefully. Um, and my route is, generally my route is to reach Singapore, but I have no real decision yet on uh, whether I go to Vietnam or Laos or these specific countries, but it's not so important. Um, once I hit the road, I'll probably make up my mind as we go. Um, but I'm going to try and make it to Singapore and then try and make it as far as I can to Australia uh, through Indonesia. And then um, ideally, I'd love to make it all the way to Sydney or Melbourne without having taken any flights. So hopefully a boat from Indonesia to Australia and then across the outback. And, and then, there, of course, there will be a flight at some point. Or perhaps if somebody, say, in, across the Pacific wants to has room for a bike, who knows. Um, but then it'll be, America will be the last real uh, big continent. 
and then a little bit of England. So that's uh, that's like a two year stretch there. It wouldn't take two years to complete the guy, the, the man Mark Beaumont who cycled the world. He did that part of the. He did the whole journey from London to London in, uh, I think, six months. Okay. Um, but he he was just a cyclist. He was not a photographer, or um, and and that's when there was records left to be kind of broken. So uh, I'm not interested in records. I'm interested in like uh, being happy. So I'm going to maybe do some work in Australia in the fields for photographic reasons um, and just take my time and uh, not get into too much trouble. I'm just trying to yeah snap as many pictures as I can. So. Well, I was I'm more than happy to be able to su- support it with, you know, my modest donation to you and 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 to give you the exposure that I think you absolutely de- deserve. So oh, I'll make super you, kind. Thank you so much. So I'm excited for people to listen and to discover everything that you're doing. But oh, uh, thank you. The, the last question I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and can, and it can be anyone, someone that you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? So many cool Instagrammers come into my head. Um, but I would say there is a photographer. He's not, he's not a classic photographer. He's quite a modern photographer called Cole Rice. And um, I discovered him maybe a couple of years before I did this trip when I was in London. I was a visual researcher and I used to reference his work a lot. And um, when I was on the road, I discovered he was on Instagram and he got in touch with me, which was a very strange experience, and started supporting me. And since then, he's kind of become a mate. And he said, come over when I reach San Francisco, we'll shoot some stuff. But his work is uh, it's very, it's hard to explain. It's very surreal. Um, it's landscapes uh, with lots of pictures of, humans in motion, jumping and running. Um, he uses, I think he uses a Hasselblad camera and various other equipment, but on Instagram, he's massive and he's been a massive inspiration as I've gone following his feed among other people's, but his in particular, um, and the support he has given me as well has been incredible. Um, but I, it would only take a, a quick look on my iPhone and have a look at what he's been shooting to kind of make me think, wow, I'm going to try that next. Um, he always seems to be one step ahead creatively um, than a lot of other people uh, on Instagram and on, on various photography sites like that. And yeah, he is probably one of my favorite photographers at the moment. So I don't know if people know him, but he's famous on Instagram. But if you haven't seen him, then check him out. And where can people go to find out about everything you're doing and, and keep up with you as you, as you travel? They can go to roblata.com um, and from there they can find the adventure site which is the sub site and all the different uh, places on Twitter Instagram Facebook and I've just started a YouTube channel because my next um, the next part of the trip is going to be video it's going to be GoPro so um, there's a whole another adventure for me um, haven't shot any video on this trip yet so We'll see how that goes. I look forward to to keeping up with you and and seeing all of that. And hopefully we'll have a a chance to cross paths maybe when you come to the States. I'd love to drop by, yeah. As we continue to grow the show and expand our offerings here at The Candid Frame, your support is invaluable. And you can show that support in a variety of different ways. 
You can make small donations using PayPal, a link for that you'll find at the candidframe.com website, where donations of $5, $10, $20, or even more are greatly appreciated and go a long way to helping us improve the show. You can also post reviews on the iTunes web store, which help our rankings and create more awareness about the great program that we offer here. The show's editor is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the theothermartintaylor.com. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. Till next time, this is Ibarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame.